Because time is money. What matters in cloud is agility and innovation, automation and orchestration. That is how you make money and save costs in cloud. Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the clouds as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Hello, everyone. Another fantastic episode of Altitude today. Super special guest stars. We're coming back for a live roundtable with two awesome, brilliant network architects. Rao DeWeese, who is the Director of Networking Architecture at Kindrel, and you may remember him from our previous episode. If you don't, we'll make sure we link it for you two people down below. And a new entrant today in the realm of cloud network architecture, Maxime DeRay, who is one of the head cloud network architects at Kindrel. And what we're going to do today is go over live a kind of, I don't want to say vanilla, but kind of boilerplate enterprise grade design that is an amalgamation of different customers and scenarios that Rob and Maxime have addressed during their professional span at Kindrel. And what are we, what we're going to do is we are going to kind of build it from zero to hero in the course of about half an hour as we go and address some of the deficiencies in the design and bring in networking best practice and cloud networking craft to improve the design and make it uh, modern and viable. So before we do that, Maxime, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I'll make sure, again, we link to the previous episode with Rob if folks want to learn a little bit about him. Absolutely. Thanks, Woody. So I'm Maxime. I'm based uh, in Brussels, Belgium, and I have around 23 years of network and network security expertise in different corporations like finance, stock exchange, pharmaceutical and vendors as well, from architecture and design to deployment. Almost four years ago, I shifted completely my focus from on-prem to the cloud when my previous company at that time, that was Swift, wanted to deploy its first application onto AWS and have an hybrid cloud architecture. So at that time, I was a CCOE Network Lead Cloud Center of Enablement and found it a bit harsh and difficult when deploying to pinpoint, you know, where the the configuration issues could come from. That's how I discovered Aviatrix. And I really liked the product so much that I worked for them for Aviatrix, same company as you, uh, Woody, as a principal solution architect. And now I am working as a senior cloud network architect in Kindrel in uh, the network and uh, edge global center of excellence, where I have to support local teams for network assessment to Fortune 500 companies, for instance, as well as architecture and deployment around the three main CSPs, AWS, Google Cloud, and Azure, but as well as with some added value cloud network product like Aviatrix or any other global integrated network backbone solutions. Recently, I was lucky enough to certify as an Aviatrix design expert which is, to my knowledge, the only multi-cloud network certification available on the market. Thank you so much for uh, talking a little bit about yourself. 
uh, excited to have you work with Rob and I, or me work with the two of you on this design. So let's just get right down to it. Rob, if you want to kick off and share. Absolutely. I'm going to share my screen now. Thank you for the intro. I'm extremely pleased about uh, Maxime's progress becoming a, a design expert for Aviatrix 2. He is just killing it. So here's what we're going to do. This is based off real customer scenarios. It's an amalgamation of a few different uh, Fortune 50 clients and some scenarios we've really uh, ran across recently represented some challenges. Now, real quick, before I dive into the architecture, I want to state that I consider cloud networking four towers. Okay. Tower one, I call hyperscaler LAN or hyperscaler LAN, duh, with a D. That's anything and everything in a specific hyperscaler, like AWS, GCP, Azure, any and all features. Tower two, as I call it, is hyperscaler WAN, how we connect into the hyperscalers. Uh, that could be over the internet, MPLS, VPN, GRE, IPsec, SSL connectivity, any way to connect into the hyperscaler. So that's tower two, the WAN tower. Tower three, I call it the control tower. That's how we uh, have monitoring, visibility, control, um, routing, That anything that is involved in Tower 1, 2, and beyond for controlling, routing, monitoring, visibility, audibility. That is what I consider Tower 3. Tower 4 is what I consider complex flows, things like SaaS applications, like SAP talking to ADP, authenticated from Active Directory, online, going to Oracle, uh, financial databases, for example. At Kindra, we have architectural design principles that I've created with my uh, cohort, uh, Olivier Lopez. We're not going to go over all of them there, but I want to make sure that we weave some of our architectural and design principles into this scenario. Okay. Uh, one of the most important is uh, treating the network as a product that can adopt new features and technologies and chuck out old ones. Another one that is really important to this scenario is ensuring that no hyperscaler native service is used for any core feature that runs the environment. That could be Kubernetes clusters, could be router or firewall types. When we deal with multi-cloud networking, I prefer to design with third-party solutions for core features of the environment because another one of our design or architectural principle is that data and applications and services should be able to migrate anywhere at any time for any reason. Work in any geography, regardless of circuit type, okay? That's important because we see a lot of times what comes up is uh, a financial regulation comes out that says, hey, this needs to be stored on-prem, but you built it in uh, Azure Kubernetes or something like that that you can't bring back on-prem. That causes a lot of problems to our customers and something almost all of our customers have experienced once since they started their multi-cloud journey. Those principles are things that we want to adhere to in this scenario. So what I've come up with here, this is a multinational company. Okay, we'll call them Ac Acme, okay? Acme has data centers in the US, in Europe, in Asia, and they have 500 offices. Okay, these can be worldwide. We see that they're connected together in MPLS backbone. Maybe not fully what you'd see nowadays. You'd probably see a mix of SD-WAN or even older DMVPN, but we're making this scenario vanilla. Okay, you can see in the Americas, we also have Equinix data centers where there seems to be a procurement of MPLS connectivity to AWS and Azure. Uh, we can see in AWS over here, we have a SaaS application. We have a bunch of VPCs sitting over here on a transit gateway. This is America's. Um, in Azure, we have, um, you know, 50 spoke VNets. You could just assume a bunch of resources back here, right? Vanilla enough, but enough detail that we can talk to it. In Europe, we have a Frankfurt data center, classic routing switching technology that seems to have IPsec connectivity 
over the internet to AWS in Germany. Mm -hmm. Okay. See SD-WAN offices connected, you know, that they also have connectivity to the uh, backbone. In Asia, we seem to have a presence here with a data center in Singapore with IPsec VPN connectivity to the Azure APAC region. So that is the vanilla take on it. The first thing that I want to try and resolve with, let's say, Aviatrix as the product, because we're on the Aviatrix podcast. Right now, let's assume that they have hyperscaler-specific you know, resources in Azure and AWS. Okay, so that means firewalls, uh, natting, gateways, uh, routing, security groups, ACLs. Operational complexity for this operation with 500, you know, just imagine you being a cloud network engineer or a network engineer trying to handle the classic BGP, OSPF, being familiar with, say, you know, Fortinet firewalls or Cisco firewalls. And then you have two other vendors, essentially, in, with their cloud-specific things. Okay. So the first thing that I want to try and establish is, okay, we have multi-cloud connectivity here. Looking at tower one through four, I think we're going to have a problem with visibility and how we can control things for a day one operations. So I want to hand this over to Maxime. Maxime. How would you address starting to get control of the routing and everything in this scenario? First of all, I will build indeed the day one and day two operations with a unified uh, control plane with Aviatrix product across the multi-cloud. So it's made with the controller and the copilot, okay. right? Now, Woody, what do you think the advantages are of having a centralized control plane Benefits and drawbacks to a new network engineering staff uh, that, that maybe only been in the cloud for a year or two? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, there's several things. To be concise about it, it really helps to ramp up your network engineering and cloud architecture pros, your IT pros on fluency in cloud. Because in, instead of having to learn three or four different cloud networking systems and understand their nuances and tool sets, you can get to one cloud networking system that is more or less unified and consistent. Uh, this helps people come up to speed much more quickly, saves you cost and, and uh, the, the training time of trying to get IT people to specialize in each of these individual clouds, but also the tools that you're using are thus standardized. So for example, all the data that Copilot gives back to you is standardized, which from a network truancy perspective, if that's a word, meaning from a data ingestion standpoint, it's really nice to have a single source of truth. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, the, the customer we mostly base this off of, they had an AWS team, then Azure team, and the networking team ran the data centers and the colos and the DMVPN, SD-WAN stuff. And we are helping them navigate getting control of the cloud. And this is a perfect fit in there for their network engineering staff to not be so intimidated by taking over all the routing and the security groups and everything that goes along in the cloud that they've honestly been afraid for. So, you know, I consider the control tower is tower three. So we have, Maxime, what do we have here when we install, you know, the controller and copilot, right? We're going to have uh, audibility. We're going to have uh, security. Can we just talk about, you know, understanding latency and, you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when you have to design a multi-cloud or an hybrid cloud infrastructure, you have to have in mind the CRAMS design pillars. You know, it's based on the cost, recoverability, availability, manageability, performance, and security. And this is very true for the control plane as well as the data plane. But here, 
we talk about the control plane. So you have, first of all, to secure your management VPC and your control plane, meaning the controller and the copilot. So for instance, you just put an application load balancer if you locate your control plane in AWS in front of your controller linked to an AWS web application firewall. And on top of that, you can configure some security group in front of your controller to limit the access to the controller to the ALB itself and not from the external customer. That, that should be some security best practice when it comes to securing the control plane. Probably didn't lay the best foundation, but here we are, we're trying to resolve the visibility control and routing for Acme Corp. Okay, and trying to get the network engineering staff to take back control of the multi-cloud networking scenario as we have in Europe, Asia, and the US. So step one, you'd say to help resolve and get a hold of everything controller, get copilot stood up. Now we have access to understanding, you know, uh, routing, um, real-time monitoring, and now we can start what standing up BGP. How are we going to, how are we going to start making this comfortable for the classic network engineer that is under starting to take on, um, getting control of the multi-cloud scenario. The protocol that most traditional data center professionals know best and use with the greatest frequency, uh, to connect data centers to other branches and offices across the world is, of course, BGP and more specifically UEGP. It is very nice to have an Aviatrix Transit backbone in place across one or more of your cloud deployments because it supports eBGP consistently mm -hmm. and brings, furthermore, a BGP-like behavior to all of the cloud-native routing stacks. The further down uh, you deploy the Aviatrix solution, meaning if you want to move to a hub and spoke scenario with Aviatrix, where you have spoke gateways that are connected to hub gateways. And this is all done programmatically, automatically through the controller, which is the nice thing about Aviatrix. None of this is manual. It's all for automation. You have thus turned maybe three or four different brittle bespoke routing paradigms into a BGP overlay, um, which from so, an engineering perspective, brings a lot of comfort and capability. So let's dive into that. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna start creating something that will make the engineering department comfortable with what they're used to, you know, connecting BGP, you know, between their data centers in Singapore, Frankfurt, and US, Virginia, or wherever they were, right? They're gonna be comfortable with this, okay? That's gonna help them take control and minimize downtime and have this ability and really make things better for the company, especially the scenario that this was based off. This is exactly how we're going. We're, all right, you know, a lot of times they're, yeah. they're very comfortable with BGP, OSBF, EIGRP for some people. This is a good way to set it up. So we've set up our control, our routing in the different cloud regions as well as we could in the data center as well, right? And now we're going to what? We're going to set up BGP and start connecting things in some sort of mesh, partial mesh, star hub, I guess design freedom here. We don't have to dive into the intricacies of what benefits one or the other, but Maxime, we need to set up spoken transits, right? Is that the next step? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once you have spin up, uh, spun up your management plane, it's play. It's the time right now to to spin up your data plane, and of course, with the controller, you have to spin up and look at this uh, architecture. It's completely homogeneous across AWS, no matter which region it is, and Asia, and you could have as well GCP. That would be the same. Urban spoke topology made with Aviatrix spoke. Uh, gateways in the private workload and you have this 
core layer, which is made with Aviatrix Transit Gateway and each regional spoke gateway connect to the transit, right? And between the different region or between the different cloud, uh, cloud, yes, you have what is called full mesh transit pairing. It means that each regional transit connects to a remote transit via transit peering. And all the red link that you see, it's not BGP indeed, it's right. It's called Active Mesh 2.0. What it means, it's a non-made protocol made by Aviatrix. It's based on the five tuples, you know, source destination IP, source destination port and protocol. And it makes that all the different links are available. It forwards the traffic. So it should make them feel comfortable once they've set it up. Okay, Woody, what would you add here? What like benefits for maybe being helping with this being cloud agnostic or you know, if we're trying to solve the problem, which I, I really see a lot of is is network engineers need to take back control of the multi-cloud network and really just absolutely get the security and the routing and the visibility back in place. Could you speak to the the step two in any way, add any benefits to it um, that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, sure. So two important things is now that we have, like you said, some kind of a mesh could be full mesh or partial mesh, and we have the beginning of a spoken hub architecture with Aviatrix, we have a lot of network telemetry that we can harvest through Copilot. So all of those gateways are going to be sending back almost quasi real-time NetFlow data about every single packet and flow that goes through them, uh, which is available to be sliced and diced and pivoted and moved and audited Perfect. in real time through Aviatrix Copilot. So that is one huge benefit is you get a single pane of networking class for, for troubleshooting and management. The other is Aviatrix supports a kind of encryption that's called HVE or high performance encryption. Mm -hmm. yep. And it's secret sauce, but really it's not that esoteric. We can talk more about it at some other point. We actually did on our episode earlier, Rob, but what yeah. we could do is enable that feature between regions for completely encrypted, super high performance transit and turn all these cloud networks into your personal backbone. Yeah, I would like to add something as well that maybe we forgot to mention, Rob, and this is quite important for the audience. It's just, we do not only spin up, you know, the Aviatrix gateway, but under the hood with the controller, we spin up, we configure automatically all the VPC route and the routing table, all oh, the absolutely. cloud native constructs, you know? Yeah, so that's the beauty of the product as well, that it's, okay, you spin up some gateways, but automatically, you know, it's done for you and it's completely cloud Absolutely, agnostic. and we could spend yeah. hours going into that, right? Uh, how we connect VPCs yeah. and VNets and control and secure, right? But uh, we're, going, we're going on a higher level here. Woody and you had a good segue though. All right, so now I've got this set up, but we need to get it on-prem as well. So we have the true multi-cloud, multi-network scenario, but we're going to need good visibility, right? We're going to be have to, having to work with, you know, help desk or, you know, tier one, two, three support. We're going to have to work with service now. We're going to have to have the audibility, visibility. Um, but we need to bring it also back on-prem. All right, Maxime, for steps three through five, I want you to deep dive. How would you, how would you help address that? So first of all, um, to extend, I, I will start with the step number three and please rebound on it if I miss something. But you, for, to extend the visibility to on-prem, you know, you have to spin up and maybe, yes, absolutely, you can show the, this diagram. Onto the data centers, you spin up some Aviatrix Edge mm -hmm. Gateway. And it can rely on VMware or KVM. 
you know, that way you can extend the visibility up to the on-prem. And just bear in mind that there is no BGP or IP or over IPsec whatsoever between the transit and the on-prem. It's just a regular aviatrix spoke gateway okay. attachment. You can see the edge as a spoke gateway attachment. That way you can benefit as well from all the different tools coming from the copilot up to the data centers. Okay. All right, Woody, do you want to like uh, talk about like the KVMs or VMware and performance that you'd see on-prem, if there is any major difference in cloud or whatnot? Yeah, sure. So Aviatrix has an edge device. It's virtual or physical. And the physical has a number of different form factors depending upon you know the performance and kind of LAN capability you want with it. Mm -hmm. But those edge devices can be placed both in branches or in Equinix facilities and then essentially bring full encryption end-to-end -end, either over the internet or through a private circuit like Direct Connector Express Route, mm -hmm. um, which isn't common much anymore, but some financial institutions still need this and uh, pharmaceutical medical still need this. Uh, and use that to basically fill the pipe um, with high-performance encryption from Equinix into your backbone. And then you can cross-connect them. So using Equinix Dark Fiber, you basically create a second backbone. Love it. I love it. And I like that we're talking the fact that you can build a, a comprehensive backbone even without the multi-cloud with this scenario. Yeah. Definitely with Aviatrix Edge, you can benefit indeed. For instance, you have the 10 gig mm -hmm. lines. You can have eight con concurrent IPsec tunnels that will uh, make a total of 10 gig bandwidth for the link. So you will benefit for the, the full bandwidth, even if it's so encrypted. So what, what would the benefit for that? bundling the VPNs and whatnot, would that be for database transfers or what would be the advantages? What what would you do that for and what would be the drawbacks of doing that? Yeah, I mean, the the general thought is if you're creating a super highway to cloud, the rising tide raises all ships. So the fatter pipes you have, the more workloads you can migrate and move to cloud and support on this infrastructure platform that you're building. So your your overall cloud play increases in, in speed and density. You're just building a bigger highway so more people can drive where they want to drive, basically. The downside is that you have to make sure that it's anti-fragile because if you build Love big, that. big pipes and these pipes fail, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. No so you have to be very thoughtful about uh, your, your, your backup scenarios and your failover scenarios, which means use Equinix Backbone correctly, make sure your BGP pre-pinning is correct, make sure that all of your Aviatrix gateways and other network connectivity endpoints are in an HA position, active-active with uh, eBGP, ECMP, if at all possible. Yep. Active-passive is not a happy place to be in the cloud because the load balancers that sit in front of active-passive software nodes do not reliably handle super-fast failover. Um, oh, definitely. BGP, yeah. typically, BGP typically does. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I've read into that a lot. Actually, that's a great segue. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, people want sub-millisecond failover timers on BGP. And then, yeah, definitely. Yep. Oh, my gosh, guys. Uh, I'm sure any of you cloud network architect vets out there, you, you've probably all ran into that. Things you're used to doing on the data center or between sites versus what you could do in the cloud. Um, that's a great segue to the last part of step five, though. Um, you know, BGP, but you were also touching on the fact that, hey, we have internet here and we have the backbone. So we're, we can have peering both ways, active standby, active, active, failover. Maxime, can you talk to step five about communication, uh, just peering between the clouds and the data centers? 
Essentially, I think, you know, uh, just uh, to put in perspective, what is step five? It's just the company wants to save some money, you know? It does not want to, to have a lot of uh, data transfer on the internet between uh, AWS and Azure, for instance. So what do you do? You do some ISPAS prepending between the two different clouds because ActiveMesh 2.0 uh, talks uh, BGP attributes as well. That way you back all the traffic up to the edge. And this is a use case, you know. Why do you need so much bandwidth? Because maybe for the cloud-to-cloud -cloud, uh, con connectivity, uh, communication, you go towards the private link. This is uh, the beauty that I like about Aviatrix overall. All yeah. the other competitors you essentially have, you make it comfortable for the network engineering staff to do what they've always done best. We just talked about BGP, AS path prepending, or working, you know, just standard route maps and prefix lists, things that a lot of like uh, competing products just don't have that classic network engineers over, you know, last few decades, they're just used to doing things, but it helps them take back control and do things better. You know, most Fortune 500 companies you walk into that have this multi-cloud scenario would beg to just have something simple like this back into controlling what's running their business. Woody, do you have anything to add there before we go into our last like three, three four steps? Flip back to your first diagram really quickly. And I just want to add as a pile on top of exactly what you said. Notice how in this case, this customer is in a sweet spot with Equinix. They are also grabbing internet in Frankfurt and Singapore. Mm -hmm. There's a high, high likelihood that those internet breakouts are actually being funneled through network service providers and ISPs into Equinix or being hosted in Equinix because Equinix is the 800 pound gorilla of internet connect. It is nowadays for sure. It, it, it knows metros and they have a ton of capabilities in both Singapore and Frankfurt. That's, those are big um, mothership places for Equinix. So eventually what I would do, and this would not be a step one, but this would be one of those things where you start to interest the customer in future growth opportunities would be to put a network edge and um, service edge in that Equinix data center. Mm -hmm. This means instead of being a last mile away from the internet through some local provider, you're literally in the genesis of the internet for that metro, which is Equinix. So you're very, very close to it. So when you move your workloads up into that Equinix data center, the latencies and stabilities uh, will improve such that the internet can be almost used like a private connection. Yeah. So you could use direct connect from there, or you could just encrypt over the internet because the quality of the internet link in Equinix heading out is going to be so good. Yeah, it is. Actually, that's a good point. Megaport, Equinix, DXC, all the worldwide, but you know, Mega, Megaport and Equinix are Equinix definitely the biggest. Um, yeah. We're partners with all of them. Um, but yeah, Equinix yeah. is definitely the, the gorilla in the room. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's let's get back to finishing our scenario. We have some customers that that need to connect in this environment, right, Maxime? Uh, maybe some SaaS applications are used that they share. Maybe it's I love to use uh, ADP or whatever. This client maybe wants to roll out an application, or they already have one that's being supported from this worldwide. What kind of problems is this customer going to run into in having other people connect in and either consume, say, a SaaS application or some sort of services from this customer? Here you can see just one customer uh, that is depicted, right? And this customer wants to access the new SaaS application. I think it's small, but it looks to be located in AWS US. The second customer, as you said, uh, wants to access the same SaaS application, but unfortunately they have overlapping uh, siders between customer one and customer two. So you want 
in the cloud, you want to be in control. As the SaaS provider, you want to control uh, this overlapping uh, IP. You cannot uh, ask the customers to change their IP addressing or to do some nothing instead of you, okay. right? So with Aviatrix, this is possible. There are many different nothing uh, features, yes. But here, you just configure a new landing spoke for each customer. So it helps you create a CSP model, essentially, which a company like yes, ours, Kindra, exactly. we have over 1,200 plus managed service clients. Uh, we have hundreds of applications yeah. that we host for our clients. So we have a giant CSP model ourselves. And you can you configure customized as not on the landing spoke. You know, that way the customer is uh, IPs is hidden by uh, the IPs of the landing spoke. That way yeah, the SaaS application knows to whom redirect the traffic. Woody, this is where I kind of come back to like what I consider Tower 3, the control routing, how we do monitoring, visibility, control, um, things like that. You know, it helps a client having, you know, like a, an old Cisco suite, you know, to, to manage a classic data center and application hosting environment. It seems like this can really help network engineers control not just the inter-routing between the data centers and the clouds and the colo, but also it can help you in actually the expansion and you know accessibility of your services, whether that's a SaaS application or whatever. So I, I feel like a lot of times Aviatrix use case people talk about um, is for essentially creating control of the the WAN, the the hyperscaler WAN, and, and to the colo. But mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of advantages towards also bringing this out to the the service edge that you service your clients or end users. Do you have anything to add there or talk about? Oh, big time. So remember the advantage of having a software overlay like Aviatrix isn't just in the architectural outcomes that we've discussed, but the day two operation and secure outcomes that we've been touching upon, which is it's all software. It's all same, same now. So and it's all based on automation and orchestration. So when you want to organize your routes, it's just like flipping light switches. So you create what's called a network route domain or a network domain. Mm -hmm. And you just drag VPCs and VNets into basically verfs, things that you want to collaborate and talk or things that you love don't. It. So it makes segregation from pre-prod to dev to prod very, very simple. And you don't have to sweat the details in each of these independent areas or clouds. And again, talking about edge, like you said, bring it down to your service edge. If you deploy the Aviatrix edge device in your branch or your or whatever, it joins into that network domain topology. So then branches become included in your overall routing construct. So you could say this branch can only talk to these other domains and or vice versa. Now think about without Aviatrix trying to do that with uh, a network yeah. engineer and security department. Oh, I've got my AWS people in Frankfurt, in Singapore, my Azure people, you know, it's like trying to support that with the native services where they might be intertalking back to the data center colo. Yes. You go from just simplifying all of that, you know, it makes a big difference. Yes, it, it, it absolutely does. What would take, you know, maybe three or four weeks of planning across three or four different teams and then middle of the night nail biting route configuration changes that are independently realized in each cloud is now just a, you know, five minute change window and a 30 second Terraform click. Exactly. And then once you've got it set up, now the initial setup will take a few weeks, right? Um, yeah. It depends on yeah. how quick you can move guys and how big your environment is. But uh, once you've got it set up, now you've got to stay in practice. One of the cu customers I based this off of uh, just was running into that problem. You know, they don't, they didn't have enough, they, they had dev and prod environments, but what they actually didn't have was like, HIPAA or PCI environments or bank regulatory specific environments, but they're operating in multi-clouds. I'm like, 
you guys are waiting to get fined and have to move all your stuff back on prem and it's going to take you months to get it done. Um, I, I think that's also a scenario that can help be resolved or mitigated with something like this, at least a lot easier. All right, let's let, let's touch on you know our last few steps, Maxime. All right, uh, micro segmentation we've kind of touched on. What about let's let's talk about uh, security or URL filtering or IDS or you know, do you have anything to add about you know the advantages of what you might have talked about the distributed cloud firewall? I think there's a lot of great advantages there, especially for the classic network engineering staff taking over the cloud. Uh, let, let's talk about that. Distributed cloud firewall firewall is a license on uh, Aviatrix, and with that you can configure. Uh, multiple features. You can configure micro-segmentation. You can configure URL or, or FQDN filtering. You also can configure intrusion detection system with Suricata rules, right? But globally, I guess it overcomes some limitation that the cloud uh, native, uh, the, the cloud service provider can't resolve. Definitely, they have NAT gateway, for instance. They don't have URL filtering unless... You put some AWS network firewall or Azure firewall, but you have to re-architecture everything. You you know that, right? You need an inspection VPC in AWS towards the firewall. Do you want that? I don't think so. So with this DFC license, you can configure, for instance, URL filtering anywhere on any Aviatrix spoke gateway. Now, URL filtering is great, and micro segmentation is obviously more important than that. Um, Woody, any, anything you want to, anything else you want to add to that scenario? Yeah, sure. Maxime did an awesome job, of course, tying that up with the red bow. But um, some other nice facets of distributed cloud firewall are the centralized policy that understands tags. So you don't have to use ciders; you can tag all of your objects, oh, yeah. and put these tags in what's called a smart group, which will automatically organize and track your tags for you. And then you apply the policy to the smart group. Thus, if like let's say a Kubernetes cluster decides to migrate or move or disappear, the cloud fabric uh, resource provider will announce to Aviatrix, hey, this cluster's moved, it's changed. And because the smart group knows from that tag is the policy will follow it. Huge, yes. huge, huge, actually, absolutely huge. Also yes. network yes. engineers uh, that, are, that are new to the cloud. And I, I don't want to just stress you guys, but uh, tagging is the one that I, I feel like... Um, seems to be a foreign concept to a lot of network engineers and how tagging works in the cloud. But it, it, it's granular control from understanding billing to ev- how you can do so much of the control right. in cloud, right? Yeah, to try to live by ciders in cloud is, a, is an exercise in frustration and ultimate failure because of overlap, because of IPv4 scarcity, because IPv6 really isn't ever going to land in the way people want I to know, land. I know, right? Uh, you know, that's that's the dream that's like the carrot on the stick. I yeah. think we've been talking about that one for, for 20 years. Yeah, I was I was in high school getting my CCNA and they were talking about we're running out of addresses. <laughs> IPv6 nice. is coming. And I swear it's still like it's still not here. It's still not. Mm-hmm. Do you people are refactoring their apps like the customer in this scenario? You know, it's like we've got to make it IPv6 ready. And it's going to be $200,000 per app to get it rewritten to do this. And like people are like, you know what? I'll I'll take that bet. Let's, let's see how it goes. But anyway, let, let, let's finish this up. We had a final step 10. Maxime, control tower, routing, learn, learning things from on-prem. Just anything, any, any sprinkles on the ice cream you want to add to this scenario? Yeah, just for a little story, you know, recently I faced a customer that had a major incident and non-negligible downtime because some 
routes from on-prem to the cloud were injected dynamically uh, towards PGP, yeah. right? And even some default routes were injected, mm. and this led to this very specific incident. So all in all, you want as well to control, uh, no matter the protocol is, you want to control uh, the, 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 the road coming from on-prem because your center of gravity is the cloud. So there are some specific features with Aviatrix. Could be BGP route approval if you have uh, a Cisco router in on-prem. But here in our case, in that scenario, I guess. So with the Aviatrix Edge, this is considered as an Aviatrix um, spoke gateway. So you, you do not have BGP, right, between the on-prem and the transit, as we said before. So you have the same uh, kind of mechanism, which, which is called gateway learn. CIDR approval. And what does it do? It just informs the admin of the platform, the network engineer, the cloud network engineer, that some routes are injected from on-prem sure. to, to the cloud. Do you allow that or not? And if you allow, of course, they will be advertised towards your entire multi-cloud. And if you don't, it will go to the trash. Absolutely. And I think that's what we expect out of a control platform nowadays. But the vast landscape of this scenario in you know three regions, yeah. multiple cloud, five hundred SD WAN offices, a couple colos. You know it, it makes a lot of sense. You know one thing I, I wish you would have hit on in this, which we haven't, and I'd like to just ask Woody about this. You know when I first started exploring Aviatrix a few years ago, I was like, man, this thing's expensive. Uh, and I'm starting to realize when you when you establish it in the colo and other places, like compared to hardware and and just overall cost, I feel like it ends up actually being cheaper than a classic, you know, iron hardware and Equinix, say, if we extend it on-prem, but increases the value uh, uh, and and makes it so much easier to to operate the network and control and have the security and visibility. I'm starting to realize that it's, it's not actually overly costly for AVHX overall. I'm starting to realize that it's, it's, it's really... Uh, enhancing the value and even cheaper in many instances for, for things like, you know, rolling out in the colo and other places to really gain back control. Do you guys have anything you want to add to that? It was just a random thought I had. Yeah, it's the business uh, added value that uh, Aviatrix brings, you know. How many FTEs more do you need to configure and maintain your multi-cloud uh, infrastructure on all the different cloud service provider? How many Terraform code, which is different between AWS and Azure, you want to, to configure with Aviatrix, you, you save a lot of time and definitely the time to market because of the standardized architecture is uh, far quicker or the cloud adoption, of course, is far quicker as well. So it's all this business added value that uh, Aviatrix brings. And all in all, maybe Woody, please correct me if I'm mistaken, but all in all, I think at the end of the year, you save some money. Yeah. I mean, you guys have, have hit the nail on the head. The, the quick story is there becomes a place where your journey in cloud becomes big enough and serious enough to where you need a solution like Aviatrix. If not Aviatrix, then something that... that operates at the scale and fluency that it does, because if you don't, you will, you will burn a lot of cash mm -hmm. uh, because time is money. And what matters in cloud is agility and innovation, automation and orchestration. That is how you make money and save costs in cloud is by doing things more quickly and efficiently. And Aviatrix is very 
focused on that. So instead of having to take a month to deploy your entire network, you can do it in, say, if you have your templates together, you know, a couple of days. And so it's, it's that kind of realization that's like, once you make the investment in a system like Aviatrix, then it starts to pay back dividend after dividend. But you also need to be ready for that moment in cloud. If you don't have one serious business application in the cloud, or you're not close to that, Aviatrix might not make sense yet because you're just not needing this big, serious network. So it's just a matter of, of timing when you're ready for it. But when you're big enough, you, you, you need it. <laughs> Absolutely. And Woody, I have a question for you. Yeah. What would you say to the customer a bit scared from being completely cloud native to, to migrate to Aviatrix? What would be your, your word about that? I'm sure people hesitate because turning the keys of the kingdom over to another third party, Aviatrix or any other network provider for the most critical piece of your infrastructure, which is your network, means you are trusting that company with the entire livelihood of your business. And that is something that, of course, we do not take lightly at Aviatrix. We know the position we're in. We know the critical nature of the platform. We know how critical networking is to your business, to anyone's cloud business. So we put a tremendous amount of effort into stability, yeah. into scalability, uh, into support and customer care. So uh, that's what I would say is we have a process to do it slowly and systematically. Yeah. And we don't expect people to transit to a whole new backbone in one day. But if you find a process, you're good. Gentlemen, this was so fun. Thank you both for your time. It was uh, really a treat to go through and actually apply a methodology and a practice uh, to, this, to this architecture, this diagram in a podcast in New Brass Tax, a completely refreshing. So thank you both. Uh, we'll be in touch. You guys take care. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.